Luke chapter 1, verse 57. You can grab a Bible and a rack in front of you if that uh, helped you follow along, or you can follow along on the screen. And uh, I am looking forward to tonight. Uh, I understand there's going to be cookies there. I like cookies. I especially like those iced cookies. You know what I'm talking about? Those iced cookies. With, oh, those are the best. Kathy's making French onion soup. So there's going to be, I think we've got like 15, 16 soups. So bring a big bowl. No, we got bowls. So bring a bowl. We got spoons. We'll take care of you. But we're in Luke chapter 1, verse 57, as we continue our Christmas series. Verse 1, verse 57, rather, we read this. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his tongue, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways." to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel." May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Greg, there's a little low-end feedback going. If you could dial the low-end back, that'd be great. Thank you, sir. You're my hero. Well, does it seem sometimes to you that with all that is taking place in our world that we are all sitting in darkness somehow? Please don't get me wrong. I believe as Christians we have an incredible hope and an optimistic outlook on our future because of who Christ is and all that he has accomplished for us and saving us from our own sin and rebellion. But as we look at our world, it's hard not to just shake our head and say to ourselves, what is going on? Here are just a few major concerns. Social media addiction. Are you familiar with that? 
as many as 16 to 33 million Americans could be said that they are addicted to social media. 30% of Americans consider themselves addicted. On average, checking their Facebook feeds 15 times a day. 41% of the world's four through 18 year olds are on TikTok. That should be concerning. 41% of the world population, four to 18 years old on TikTok. The opiate epidemic. Just a few years ago, over 70,000 people died in one year, and it's only gotten worse since then. According to the National Institute of Health, over 130 people die every day from opiate overdose, including pain medication, heroin, synthetic opioids, such as fentanyl. You have issues of obesity. Here in America, over 65% of the population is overweight or obese. And along with it is the increase of heart disease, high blood pressure, and adult onset diabetes. Life expectancy is also trending downward. Or the lack of happiness in our culture. Depression rates are up. Suicide is up. Major contributing factors include relationship problems, stress, worry, job dissatisfaction, overall narcissism in our culture, selfies ruling the world, focus on self, secular humanism, an emphasis on our rights over our responsibilities, and a general disregard for others. Uh, there's a general, have you noticed it? A general incivility towards others. This is last week, uh, my friend Pastor Nick and I, we were at a Chick-fil-A, and gal comes in, and she is yelling at the staff at the Chick-fil-A, yelling at them because, why? They left pickles on her sandwich. I'm serious. She was, she was going to blow a gasket. And she was going to let everybody know. The whole restaurant heard it. It was just horrible. Out of this, moral decay. Only 50% believe our moral values are poor. <laughs> That's interesting. Only 50% think they're bad. While 78% do, 78% believe they're getting worse. Again, this includes a lack of consideration for others, mass shootings, racial hatred, fraud and theft, sexual promiscuity, hooking up with others, sex perversion, homosexuality, gender confusion, gender dysphoria. And on top of all that, you've got the whole abortion problem. And then we have the destruction and redefining of the family that's going on. The good news here is that the divorce rate is down in recent years, but so are the rates for people getting married. Well, it makes sense. If there's less people getting married, there's going to be less divorces, right? And by the way, if you didn't know this, 66% of second marriages end in divorce, and 74% of third marriages in, end in a divorce. And of course, same-sex couples on the increase as our culture attempts to redefine what marriage is. Add to all of that, we're dealing with the corrupt media, news sourcing, corrupt governments, political unrest and conflict, international trade issues, war. Right now, there are six major conflicts on the planet, 16 wars, 21 minor conflicts, with tens of thousands dying every year. It seems to me that the times we are living in right now are pretty dark. We really could use some light. As we'll see today, we should rejoice in the Lord in every circumstance. 
We should praise God in all things. Why? Because God has given us a Savior who will redeem us from our sins, who will save us from our enemies, who will show us great mercy, and who will prepare us to serve him. And because God has given us a forerunner who prepared the way of the Messiah, who gave us knowledge of salvation, who gave us light in the midst of our darkness, and who showed us the way of peace. In this particular Christmas series, we're looking at the Messiah and the forerunner. Last week, we saw the prophecy regarding the coming of Jesus. And today, we're looking at, finally, the birth of the forerunner. In these weeks leading up to the advent of Jesus, we've been studying not only the promise of the birth of Jesus, but the promise and birth of his forerunner, John the Baptist. Today, through the book of Luke, we will see the birth of this prophet, the birth of John the Baptist. And today we'll see four spiritual truths through the study that will bring us hope and encouragement in this time, in this dark time, in the dark world. But before we study, would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we recognize that we are in dark times, but we know that you're the light. And so, Lord, we ask that you would encourage our hearts as we study your word today. Lift us up to see beyond our horizon that we might yet see the sun, the sunrise that's found in Christ. So, Lord, be our guide as we study. Have your way with our hearts. Teach us, we pray. We pray all this in your son's wonderful name this morning. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first truth. We should rejoice in the Lord in every circumstance. Verse 57, notice what it says. Now the time for Elizabeth to give birth. The time came, I should say, for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Great mercy. Why? She's elderly. It's been a long time. They've waited for a child for a long, long, long time, and now the child is come. We should rejoice in the Lord in every circumstance. Notice that this is a horizontal gladness and joy we express to each other when we see God's active work in our lives. In this case, God had shown his great mercy toward Elizabeth through the birth of a child. In Luke 15, Jesus speaks of the rejoicing that takes place in heaven by the angels over one sinner who repents. And he uses the illustration of the shepherd who rejoices over finding Joy over a broken relationship that is restored. Or when someone comes to Christ. Or your dream job opens up. Moving into the house you've been praying for. Rejoicing over answered prayer. There should be rejoicing over all these things. And now Elizabeth rejoices. Why? Because Elizabeth has been shown great mercy. All of us in this room have been shown great mercy. When God is merciful to you, how thankful should you be? Are you full of rejoicing over who he is and what he's done for you? Here we are told that her neighbors rejoiced with her. Do you rejoice with your neighbors or are you envious of them or perhaps even annoyed with them when things go their way and not your way? So how should we rejoice? How should we worship in this way? Well, first of all, rejoicing with great joy. 
When Solomon was made king, notice what it said, 1 Kings 1.40, and all the people went up after him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy, so the earth was split by their noise. That's a loud noise. The earth was split. Obviously, a little over the top, over the top speech there. Hyperbole. The earth was split with how loud they were over the rejoicing. Rejoicing over God's active work in our lives. In Acts 8.39, and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Here this eunuch who didn't know what was true about the Old Testament, and Philip shows him the way of the gospel. And he's like, man, there's some water over there. Can I be baptized? And he's baptized, and then Philip takes off, and boom, he goes on his way doing what? Rejoicing. Rejoicing over God's active work in his life. Rejoicing over the word of God. When the Gentiles received the gospel in Acts 13, 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, are you glorifying God over his word, rejoicing over his word, and rejoicing with those who rejoice? In Romans 12, 15, Paul reminds us, rejoice with those who rejoice. At the same time, weep with those who weep. And also, don't forget this, rejoicing in our sufferings. Romans 5.3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, Paul says. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. I don't know what you're going through right now in your life. I don't know what your difficulty is. God does know. Is it possible you can yet rejoice and trust him in the midst of that, knowing that God is doing a work in you by his sheer grace toward you? Rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. This is, all of us need this. I need this. Of course, Paul concludes this thought altogether as we rejoice in the Lord always. The church in Philippi, he writes, rejoice in the Lord when? Always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Like I said, this is a horizontal rejoicing where we rejoice with each other about who God is and what he's doing. Are there areas in your life where you should be rejoicing more? Are you thankful for how God has blessed you in amazing ways, even in the midst of a dark and disparaging world? But secondly, we should praise God in all things. Not only rejoice, but praise him. Notice what happens in verse 59. Remember all this time, our friend Zechariah has not been able to talk. It's been well over nine months in all likelihood from the time Elizabeth was with child to the deliverance of John the Baptist. But all this time, he's not been able to speak. Why? Because he did not believe God when the angel Gabriel told him what was going to happen. So God said, all right, you're just not going to talk for a while. Notice what happens in 59. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. So the baby's been there for a while, a few days. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. There's a firstborn son. Let's call him Zechariah. That makes sense. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, well, none of your relatives is called by this name. Why John? That doesn't make any sense. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed. 
and he spoke, blessing God. Notice the first thing he does, the minute he can talk. Praise God. Thank you. And fear came on all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. This praising God in all things. We should praise God in all things. This is a vertical acknowledgement and praise of what God has done, what he is doing, and what he's going to do. Again, we talked about this this idea just a moment ago about rejoicing, where rejoicing is kind of a horizontal understanding of who God is and what he's done. But now we're praising God. We're making sure that he's getting all the glory for what's taking place. It's one thing to be happy or full of joy and rejoicing. It's another thing to acknowledge God from whom all blessings flow. And here's Zechariah finally able to speak with praise to the one who should be praised. He's blessing God. The Greek word here for blessing is eulogio. That's where we get the word eulogy. That is to speak well of, to bless, to praise, to celebrate with praises, to invoke blessings. Zechariah is finally able to praise God with his own voice over the long-awaited birth of his baby boy. And he's also likely praising God over the fact that he can finally speak again. But we should praise God in all things too. How so? Why? Well, praising God, first of all, for who he is. Exodus 15, 2. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he's become my salvation. This is my God, Moses writes. And I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is my strength. This is my God. Praising him for who he is. He's God. Secondly, praising God for his mighty deeds. Luke 18, 43. The blind man. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God, glorifying God over his mighty deeds. Think back on your life and all that he's done for you, praising him for who he is and what he's done, and then praising him for his glorious grace. Ephesians 1, 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved I haven't deserved any grace from God whatsoever, and yet he has dumped it on me. He's dumped it on you. Scripture says it's been lavished on you, Ephesians 1. You go, wow, your cup's full with his grace and overflowing. Praising God for who he is, praising him for his mighty deeds, praising God for his glorious grace. Now, by the way, I kind of wondered about this. How does Elizabeth know to call him John? Hmm. In other words, there's been conversations already taking place before this event takes place. Luke 1.13, but the angel said to him, that is to Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. At this point, only John knows this, but somehow, even though he can't speak, he was able to communicate that when the boy comes, the name is John. Lastly, one more thing I want you to notice in this portion of this passage. Notice that it was after Zechariah had been disciplined by God that God now uses Zechariah in a mighty way to bring glory to himself through Zechariah. Beloved, this is good news for all of us. Why? Because all of us like sheep have gone astray and God is so willing to discipline us and grow us so that we can be used for his purposes and ultimately for his glory. 
We should rejoice in the Lord in every circumstance. We should praise God in all things. And now the question is, okay, you got me listening. I understand we should be praising God. We should be worshiping him. I, I understand this. We should be rejoicing. But what's the ultimate why on this? And now we're going to hear it from this prophecy from Zechariah. Why? Because first of all, God has given us a savior. What kind of a savior? Well, he's a savior who will redeem us from our sins. In verse 67, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. This savior that's going to come will make all the difference. He's going to come. That's the first part. He's going to visit us. He's going to redeem us. Colossians 1.13, Paul writes, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. That, that's where we started with our discussion. It's pretty dark out there. And we're in the domain of darkness. But in Christ, we're delivered from that darkness. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have what? <coughs> Redemption. Well, what's redemption about? The forgiveness of sins. I don't know about you, but that's my problem. My problem is my sins, my rebellion. I need to be released from the shame, the guilt. And Christ is the one who's made all that difference in paying my penalty once and for all. You see, there's only two options. Either you pay or somebody else pays. If I pay, it's over. I've sinned before an almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, infinite God. And the consequence is an eternal one. But now because of Jesus, God sending his own son to take my place, now I can find redemption. I can be redeemed. I can have my sins forgiven, which I desperately need. We all desperately need. Jesus is our great redeemer Paul writes to the Ephesian church in 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Notice how redemption is always, always, always tied to the forgiveness of sins. But secondly here, in that God has given us a savior, what else is he like? Well, he's a savior who will save us from our enemies. We probably have way more enemies than we have a clue about. What do you mean? Look at verse 69. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. There's the salvation piece that we're talking about. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. We've been saved from our enemies. We'll talk about this in just a moment about how many you have. You have more than you think you do. I don't think I have any enemies. Oh, yes, you do. We'll talk about that in a second. But the thing that strikes me first of all here is in verse 70. As he spoke by the mouth, that is, as God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. How did he do this? How did God speak to us by way of the holy prophets from of old? We have to understand that the Old Testament existed for many, many years before the New Testament showed up. We have to remember that the early church didn't have access to the New Testament for many years. So the only way to proclaim Christ was through the Old Testament. You mean you can proclaim the gospel through the Old Testament? Absolutely. The whole story? Absolutely. And by the way, the passage I'm going to share with you right now 
were incredibly instrumental to me as a young person because it demonstrated the authenticity of the scripture because these prophecies about Christ that took place in some cases 800 with David, a thousand years before Jesus ever shows up, are remarkable and unbelievable, except for the fact they are believable in Christ. Isaiah 7:14 about the birth of Christ. You read this, written 800 years before Jesus shows up. It sounds like a Christmas card that you probably got in the mail this week. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. That was prophesied in the Old Testament, spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is huge. This is the Christmas story. Notice the name for the son that's coming. Did you hear some of these things? Wonderful Counselor. I don't know about you, but I could use some good counsel. Mighty God. Wait a minute, I thought he was a son. How could he be mighty God? Yeah, right. Jesus is God. Oh, that's right. Everlasting Father. Wait a minute. I thought the Father sent the Son, and yet he is the Father. Well, which is it? Yes. He is the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. God is one and yet three. Well, which is it? Yes. It's the Trinity. You go, oh, wow. It's all there. And then we have discussions about his crucifixion, like in Psalm 22, for the dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me, they have pierced my hands and feet. Did you hear that? That that was written a thousand years before Jesus shows up. I want you to think about this for a second. In the Jewish culture, if you want to kill somebody, what do you do? You, You get a rock. You throw rocks at people. It's the Romans who brought in this idea of crucifixion about 300 years before Jesus shows up. You mean God was like controlling the nations in terms of who needed to be in place for that prophecy to come to pass? Yes. For dogs have encompassed me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothes. They cast lots. Isn't that what happened? The soldiers at the cross, they're, they're casting lots to see who gets his clothes. Incredible prophecy. Isaiah 53, more about the crucifixion. About 800 years before Jesus shows up, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He's crushed for what? He's crushed for our sin, the sins that we've committed. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. This is the gospel message about what Jesus did. This is written 800 years before Jesus even shows up. Psalm 16, about the resurrection. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, that is to the pit, or let your holy one see corruption. Some translations say you won't let your holy one see decay. That's a resurrected body with no decay. It's not in the grave. He comes out of the grave three days later. The whole gospel message is there as spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. 
our enemies. What enemies? Ephesians 6.11. Paul reminds us to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Yeah, we know that enemy. Yeah, that's an enemy. Singular. Wait, there's more. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Oh, there's that darkness again. Notice it's in the plural on all these things, these principalities, these powers. We have a demonic force coming against us that we're trying to fight through with God's help through Christ against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Peter reminds us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Think about Peter writing this. Remember Peter? There was a moment where he wasn't very sober-minded. There was a moment where he wasn't very watchful, right? Because he's asked, do you know the man? No, I don't know him. Do you know him? I don't know him. Third time, he swears. Blankety blank, blanket, I don't know him. You go, Whoa. And now here's Peter going, hey, don't mess up like I did. What's he say? Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He almost ate me up, you can hear him say. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15. For he, that is Christ, must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. Notice it's in the plural. And by the way, the last enemy to be destroyed is what? Death. (laughs) That's our last enemy. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? Every funeral I've ever done for someone who's in Christ, I've said that phrase. Why? Because in Christ, death does not win. We have life in Christ forevermore. Beloved, God has given us a Savior who will redeem us from our sins, who will save us from our enemies, but thirdly here, who will show us great mercy. Zechariah continues more about this incredible suffering servant who is to come, Jesus, verse 72, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us as he remembers what he has promised to our forefathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Judah, Jesse, David, Solomon, all the way to Christ. Specific passages like Genesis 8.1, God remembered Noah. Genesis 19.29, God remembered Abraham. Exodus 2.24, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. Here's what's awesome about this. Don't ever think for a moment that your God has ever, ever, ever forgotten you. Not possible. He's the one who made you. He knows you. He knows what you're longing for. He knows what you need. He knows your name. He knows where you are. He knows your circumstance. But fourthly here, this Christ, this Savior, is the one who will prepare us to serve him. This is a remarkable thought. It's not that we're just saved. That's great. Thank you, Lord, for saving us from our enemies. Thank you. Thank you for the mercy. That's great. No, there's a salvation unto purpose. Verse 34, that we, again reminding us of this deliverance, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might do what? 
that we might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. This is the whole point. Our salvation is about him, where now we're transformed to be made ready to now go tell it on the mountain finally. And to do this without fear, to do this in holiness and righteousness, to do this all of our days, it says. The whole point of the gospel message is that we in turn would then go and make disciples who make disciples. How are you doing on that? That's what he called us to do. You know, so, well, that's pastor, that's the pastor's job. No, it's, if you are a Christ follower, if you're in Christ through faith, all of us are called to go and make disciples who make disciples. God has given us a savior. But not only that, in terms of our praise, in terms of our rejoicing, not only that, fourthly here, God has given us a forerunner. This forerunner, who is it? It's John the Baptist. And who is he and what has he done? Well, he prepared the way of the Messiah. It says, and you, child, finally, he moves from talking about Jesus to now I'm gonna talk about my son. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. This is incredible prophecy. We read it in passages like Malachi 3.1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, God says. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in him in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Or in Isaiah 40, verse three, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Isn't that exactly what John the Baptist did? Yes. As he cries out, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be brought down. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. This is how sure this is gonna happen. This boy, this child, born to Zechariah and Elizabeth is going to be the forerunner of the Christ. It was prophesied and then it happens. He prepares the way for him. But not only that, he gives us knowledge of salvation. God has given us a forerunner who gave us knowledge of salvation, which is exactly what it says in verse 77 to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. This is what we're longing for. We're longing for the sunrise. We want the sun to come up. We want the lights to go back on and that comes on through Christ. Matthew 3, 1 and 2, in those days it says, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. What's his, what's his message? Repent. Turn around. Turn from the direction you're going. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he says. Over and over again, repent. Luke 3, 3, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance and for the forgiveness of sins. We have to understand, here's Christ over here, but when we're, when we're born, we're born in rebellion and opposition to God. We are enemies of Christ. And not only are we bent away from him, going our own direction, we're bent in on self. We're all about us, ourselves. But we need to turn around. And not just turning around, but as we turn around by way of our repentance, we need to believe. We need to believe on Christ. Those are the two aspects 
of your subjective response to the gospel. I was going this way. I'm not going that way anymore. I'm going to trust him for everything. I'm going to follow him with my life. And he's the one who will make the difference. He's my only hope. I had one gal tell me, yeah, you need to do a 360. No, a 180. It's a 180. 180. Let's get that right. Little math problem there. This forerunner who prepares the way of the Messiah, who gives us knowledge of salvation. Thirdly here, who gave us light in the midst of the darkness. That's what we're talking about today. Man, we need the lights to come on. We need the sun to come up. Verse 39, to give light to those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death. Think of our world, without, a world without God, what is it? It's just darkness, there's no hope. There's no assurance of anything. But he brings light. Notice what the text says. John 1, 6, 8. 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness. By the way, it's interesting to note the word witness in the Greek is the word martyr. You go, martyr, what's that? What's where we get the word martyr? I'd like to remind you that John the Baptist was martyred for his faith. The Herodians lopped off his head and paraded it around at a party. That's how messed up those people are. He came as a witness, if you will, willing to die for what he's going to say and proclaim, to bear witness about the light. That's what we're told here, to give light to those who sit in darkness. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. John the Baptist isn't the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Who's the light? Jesus is the light. John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in the dark. I want to be in the light. I want the lights to come on. But not only did he give us light in the midst of our darkness, John the Baptist showed us the way of peace lastly here to guide our feet into the way of peace, verse 79 says. I don't know about you, but I know I need to be guided into peace. Our natural tendency is to, to be led astray in rebellion and corruption, but in Christ we can now be led to a way of peace. We're all longing for that. Isn't that what we're all longing for, just peace? Ugh. And the world will have tribulation, Jesus says, but it's okay. I've overcome the world, he says, so that we can finally have peace. Isaiah 9, 6, we read this earlier, that he is the prince of peace, this Jesus. Jesus himself says to his disciples right before going to the cross, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Why? Because the world doesn't have any peace. Fresh out, empty set, shelves are empty. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why? I'm, I'm, I'm here to give you peace. 
What you're doing in your own direction, doing, going your own way, there's no peace that way. The peace is found here in faith in Christ. And only through him can we find it. So where are you? Where are you this morning? Are you still in the dark? You know you don't have to be. Have you come to the light? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you given yourself to him? We should rejoice in the Lord in every every circumstance. We should praise God in all things. Why? Because God has given us a Savior who will redeem us from our sins, who will save us from our enemies, who will show us great mercy, who will prepare us to serve him Because God has given us a forerunner who prepared the way of the Messiah, who gave us knowledge of salvation, and who gave us the light in the midst of our darkness, who showed us the way of peace. Are you in the light? You don't have to be in the dark. He's where the lights are on. Would you please stand as we close our service? Our gracious Heavenly Father, you have showed us so much mercy, so much grace. You've lavished it on us. You've poured it. You've dumped it in our laps. And Lord, sometimes we just take that for granted. And we cheap the, we we treat the gospel cheaply. Lord, help us to understand the significance of these things that are in this text that we might rejoice in all things in every circumstance. That we might praise you no matter what. Because you sent a forerunner and ultimately, Lord, you sent your Messiah. You sent us your Savior, the one who redeems us from our sin, who by your grace drags us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Oh God, may we turn to you while you might yet be found, turning to you in faith, repenting, turning and now believing. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that's been in the dark who knows they need to turn around, Lord, it's my prayer that even right now in the quietness of this moment that they would turn towards you. They'd turn away from the direction they've been going and they'd repent. They'd turn around and turn to faith in you. And Lord, it's my prayer that you would turn the lights on that you'd open their hearts and their eyes to see and with eyes of faith all that you are and all that you've done. As we rejoice as a people, knowing that all the blessings we have are from you. Blessings of salvation, redemption, life eternal, and an abundant life even right here, right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for attending to our hearts. Lord, for those who are in Christ, may we be encouraged to knowledge that we are in the light, 
even though we find ourselves in the midst of a dark world. And that your purpose is to use us to build your kingdom, to grow it, to bring others to yourself. So Lord, have your way in our hearts. Lord, may we be the ones at the Chick-fil-A who are kind and sweet and not yelling at people. May we be the ones who, out of the abundance of grace, poured out in our hearts, our lives, and that be pouring out of us into the hearts and lives of others, whether it's in the marketplace or at our tables and our homes, especially as we gather in this next week with family. May grace come out of us. Thank you, Lord. We want to give you all the praise. We rejoice at who you are and what you've done. We want to bless your name. We want to glorify you. Thank you, Lord. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name today. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for coming. Have a fantastic week. I hope you get all your...